Hey, hello, and welcome back for another podcast and a look at the indigenous tribal tradition. It's in chapter four of our book on moral ethics, and it actually marks the end of the very first part of the book, reading in in ethics, moral wisdom, past and present. Again, if you don't have the book yet, by all means, have a look on the Substack page. You're going to find uh, where you can where it is, what it is, how you can get it, all that good stuff. But uh, we're now about 87 pages deep into this book, and I hope you are enjoying it as much as I am. For this podcast, I don't want to do anything else until we actually define the word indigenous and what in the world I actually mean by the term. I mean, really, it seems so generic, and most people just think, at least in America, oh, those are the Native American Indians, which, of course, that is definitely true, and we're actually going to read some of those books, but it's but it's bigger than that. Uh, indigenous peoples, they are the inheritors, the practitioners of the unique cultures and the ways of relating to people in the environment. Uh, and as best as we know, they're the original peoples of a particular place. Some of these natives, they still retain as best they can in our postmodern world, their social, cultural, economic, and even political characteristics. And they are distinct from those of the dominant societies in, in many ways in which that they live. So as we look at their body of writings, their stories and fables, they're amazing. They're very colorful, they're vibrant, and they are packed with ethical and wisdom rivaling any tradition we have in the world today. And that's why we're looking at them in chapter four. So the history of many tribally organized societies, just like all these early moral teachings, they come from the oral traditions. I think we've already pretty much established in this course that what we are reading today is has been uh, passed down for verbally for hundreds and and probably uh, thousands of years in some cases uh, before the historical dating of the written text itself. So once again, we're dealing with stories often called folk tales as part of the wisdom tradition of these of these indigenous people and their tribes. And these stories are fundamentally didactic. Uh, so, you know, actually, if we're if you're not familiar with the word didactic, let me just define that here for you quick. It's it's just really a fancy way of saying instructional or teaching or training. So the folk tales of the indigenous people are meant to teach lessons, just like the others we have read so far. Generally, these stories contain some account of the origins of the tribe, its history and its customs. They provide examples of good and bad behavior, along with the consequences of a person's behavior. So many of us in the West are raised on a traditional religious doctrine who view the their earliest religious or sacred text, text as far superior. What I think and I hope you will find in the stories of the indigenous teachings is they almost identically mirror the same moral code, the same teachings uh, you, you can find in the Bible, the Quran, the Buddhist, or sacred Hindi texts. And so these similarities of leading an ethical life, they seem embedded into the deepest levels of our psyche, no matter what form they take. 
wow, I could, I could just go off on a real riff here on, on Jungian psychology and the collective unconscious and mythological archetypes and how all humans at their core live, breathe, experience, and react to the same moral code. But and, and that same moral code, it resonates with basically the same stories. You change the characters, the names, the settings. But uh, in the end, the the themes, the, the core ideals are almost always incredibly similar, if not exact. But I'm going to save that for another day and another time. But the, the readings in this chapter that we're going to look at come from four indigenous traditions. There's going to be two from North America. Uh, the Iroquois in the New York area, and another tribe in the desert southwest, along with uh, one from Africa and then the Aborigines in Australia. And in, in all of these societies, storytelling is a valued means of transmitting wisdom. For all humans, stories, as we have seen, they're incredibly powerful in transmitting knowledge. And one valuable piece of wisdom that we can draw from the indigenous stories across a wide range of cultural cultures uh, concerns and ethics that is grounded in kinship within a tribe, kinship within a tribe, you know, a, a thriving tribe living, interacting, solving problems, celebrating successes, getting through loss and tragedy is strong. Well, mm, Actually, I, I think it's more than that. I don't think it's strong is really the right word. I think maybe a better term would be vital or maybe even imperative. I think imperative is a better choice to describe how significant kinship and cooperation are to the long-term survival of a tribe or in our modern world, a civilization. In contrast to that, societies that shred apart, break up, or lack trust in each other, fail. We learn this in the tribal tradition. As we look at the West today and the constant assault we wage against each other in our political and cultural spheres, or heck, almost on anything, we should all really take heed of this wisdom. Whether this be in our family, our town, our community, our country, or let's even go global community. When we splinter apart and attack each other, bad things happen. War, political and cultural strife, and decay is almost guaranteed to come along with it. But back to the stories at hand. Some of the, vic some of the stories, these myths and legends, uh, they teach us that almost all living things are connected. These tales speak eloquently on behalf of the need for all of us, or for everyone to come together to heal our ailing environment and communities. So these stories, I mean, they are fun. They are short and they are loaded with truth and wisdom on how to conduct life and the implications of abandoning the tribe in favor of personal passions or gain. Doesn't matter what it is, what that passion may be. Could be monetary, could be sexual, could be greed could be laziness, could be anger, or any of the other personal passions. There are always consequences to be paid for pursuing individual gain at all costs. There is no escaping punishment for mistakes. There is no edit button or guilt 
tripping or blaming when it is time to own our mistakes. Personal accountability is front and center in the indigenous tribal traditions. Let me just shift gears here for just one moment. So, so, so here we are. We're in our, our postmodern world and, and things have changed dramatically from these early tribal traditions. As best we know today, let's go ahead here and talk about life and how perspectives have changed just, just for one minute. We live in the postmodern world. My guess is everyone has heard about the term. We transitioned from the Enlightenment in the 18th century to the Industrial Revolution in the 19th and early 20th centuries to the age of information in postmodernism in the late 20th century uh, and now moving into the 21st century. So what what are some of these characteristics of quote-unquote postmodernism in a broad sense? And how does that compare to compared to to our stories i mean this is an interesting exercise here here are some big broad characteristics of postmodernism that i'll break down just for one quick minute here skepticism subjectivism relativism a lot of isms here uh, a general suspicion of reason an acute sensitivity to the role of ideology in asserting and maintaining political and economic power, morals to the postmodernist are relative. So let's just take a look at one of these. Let's just look at these one at a time. So the postmodernist would say, the world is nothing but subjective. You are what you are, and you are what you say you are. Your truth is your truth, and whatever you think is okay. Uh, right, good, and the world be damned to tell you that you are wrong on anything. You know, I have sympathy, and I'm going to use an example here that's it's very a hot-button topic. I, I have sympathy, maybe empathy uh, is a better word, for those struggling with their sexual identity. And I think, sadly, often lost in the heat and rhetoric on both sides of the political aisles or wherever on this debate between conservatives and liberals are real live human beings that are struggling immensely with who they are and where they fit into society. I haven't ever had to personally deal with this, but I can only imagine the incredible difficulty and how hard of a thing it must be to go through. From what I read, the rate of suicide, homelessness, depression for the transgender community is just off the charts. We always need to keep this in the forefront when i even mentioning this topic. Yet, it stands up as a good way of looking at moral relativism because the mainstreaming of transgenderism, and some for good, honest dialogues for equity, get mixed in with bad actors and others uh, that quite frankly uh, probably just to score some some cheap political points or to, fits in the postmodern mindset but the postmodernists would say this you want to be a man okay fine you are one you want to be a woman okay you are one sequencing of chromosomes hormones natural human characteristics of muscle tone etc etc they don't even matter now look, I'm not here to attack the idea one feels or desires to live 
a different gender. This is not some anti-transgender tirade, but it is an excellent example of how the postmodern worldview has taken a very different mainstream view on this topic. In a very generic sense, staying out of that hot-button PC topic of you just get to choose whatever you want to be, the idea that you just be you, what you feel is truth, regardless of facts or science or biology, and like magic, you can be what you want to be and believe whatever you want to believe, and nobody ever has the right to judge you. This is the idea of moral relativism. See, this moral relative worldview, it's dangerous in many ways. It's a dangerous idea. As if we rip the idea of scientific fact and reality out of the known world and instead make truth whatever we feel at the moment in any area of life, I I don't think we have even come close to fully grasp how significant and dangerous that shift may become. I want you to contrast this with the story that you read in this chapter of sexual passion and incest from the Aborigines of Australia, uh, where Dangjadara, in a moment of sexual weakness, sleeps with his mother-in-law and his horrific fate for breaking a code of honor. I don't want to give you the whole story so that you can read it on your own, but the guy suffered immensely before ultimately losing his life. The point made in this myth is crystal clear. That punishment inevitably follows an act of incest or breaking the moral code of society. You don't get to choose your rules. You must live by them. Reality is not whatever you want it to be, and you don't get to act any way you choose to act or feel like acting because other people may be harmed and hurt because of it. But rather, there is a moral code of honor and ethics. And when it is violated, pain, suffering, and even possible death will will ensue. So another characteristic of postmodernism is, in essence, we live in a purely individualistic world. Individuals are encouraged, almost expected to strive to achieve their own personal goals and desires in in a postmodern world. A high premium is placed on independence and self-reliance. A a postmodernist would argue that the, the interests of the individual are way more important than those of the state or of any social group. In fact, the postmodernist would even go so far as to tell you that they have their, you should have no faith whatsoever in any institution as every institution and every rule and law set up by said institution only has one real purpose anyway, and that's to control and oppress. So you must fight against any type of a societal norm whatsoever. They therefore oppose external interference by society or the government or the interests of the individual. You can contrast this postmodern worldview to the Maasai tale from Africa and their personal greed and this couple's personal greed as they attempt to hoard their own individual wealth and food, hiding it from the tribe just so they can keep it all themselves. They are brutally punished. In fact, the indigenous mindset would be aghast and disgusted 
by the very notions of postmodernism and this individual drive um, that that is required as for a functioning society that you need to be part of a collective. Finally, I want to talk about uh, another characteristic here of postmodernism that, that you can draw a direct contrast to the indigenous peoples and the stories that, that are inside of this particular uh, lesson. It's the Utes. Uh, they're from Native North America and the story of the little rabbit fighting the sun. Uh, so that this idea is nothing is that there is nothing outside of human life that provides a set of values by which to live. There's no set of rules for living. Uh, there's no framework of good or bad to the postmodernism, and, and that's completely rejected in this story. Because in this story, once again, personal ambition, or in this case specifically, anger or rage or deep passion to hurt uh, the, the, these emotions of the rabbit, and he goes on a monstrous killing spree. Um, killing and injuring and maiming people all all on his quest for revenge uh, and in the end it leads to not only the rabbit's destruction but the sun and society suffers immensely uh, but the ultimate moral imperative from this story killing is never the answer even if you feel like you're personally wronged we still have to all exist together this particular moral imperative repeats itself across nearly all civilizations in varying degrees. To the indigenous tribes, a sort of sacrifice is always required by the individual for the group to succeed. I want to say that one more time. To the indigenous tribes, a sacrifice or giving of yourself is required by the individual for the entire group to succeed. You will see this crystal clear in the warrior maiden of On Oneida, where she selflessly gives her life for, her, for the survival of her tribe, and she is honored forever. Such an amazing, compelling story. I think maybe that one was, was my favorite. Uh, but we are, for better or worse, whether we like it or not, we are a collective people. We can't exist for long when we hate, sneer at, mock, lack trust in our fellow citizens. These messages resonate so clearly in the indigenous tales. So one question for you and for me. Are we adding to the divisiveness, anger, and vitriol in society? Or are we doing our utmost to be civil compassionate and understanding even when we don't agree with someone or especially we need to do this when we don't agree with someone it's easy to be compassionate and understanding when they when everybody agrees with you heck of a lot harder when they when someone disagrees with you but are we part of the tearing down and divisiveness i know i know you may be thinking oh yeah i'm i'm even-handed and compassionate with everyone but the other side is the one trying to destroy the country. And I, I too, I myself too, you know, I, I like to think that I'm not part of the problem. But if I'm honest with myself, there are times I'm not part of the solution, but part of the problem. 
to really take value studying the wisdom texts like these in, in lesson four, look inside yourself. Search for answers. I think there is a very cogent warning here for all of us. Be very careful about being swept away in the hyperbole of everything. If you don't want the country destroyed, why would you suppose another citizen of the same country, just because they have a different opinion of you, would want to destroy the very country that they live in as well? Of course you may disagree and you will disagree with people on things, on the right way to achieve goals, uh, but but be careful of painting those incredibly broad brush strokes to entire groups of people that deride, mock, or tear down. Angry words on a keyboard are one thing, but if we are not careful, words and thoughts lead to violent action. In mass, those violent actions can cause war. It is incredibly dangerous. The indigenous moral traditions teach us that through togetherness we achieve. Through individuality and division we fail. It is a great moral lesson for all of us. All right, so uh, hope you enjoy lesson four. So I look forward to reading your post. Please, again, don't miss the posting piece. It is vital for you to solidify and codify learning in your brain because when you read, think, and then write, a miraculous thing happens. You begin to own your own learning. If you just read, listen, and think, I mean, that is good. I mean, it's better than nothing, of course, but... You won't own it at the same level as if, as when you write it and engage with the content. You wrestle out of your mind those thoughts that you have on this topic. It literally forces you, forces you into, into a level of comprehension that just reading it or listening to this podcast uh, can do. I don't know how many times I read something or I hear something and I think, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And But you know, and, and, and I process it at the moment on the fly while I'm reading it or hearing it, but then poof, it's just gone and, and I go about my day. That writing piece just kind of anchors it for you in your psyche. And if And imagine if throughout this entire book and this entire course, that you anchor one tiny little tidbit of information by doing nothing more than just simply answering a couple of questions, uh, you will be so far, oh, you'll be so much further along in your intellectual development by doing that than not doing it. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, next lesson, we move into part two of the book. Hey, part one's done and we move on to a major test. What, it's an incredible one. Uh, in the wisdom and moral tradition is as we move over to ancient China and we're going to look at Taoism and Lao Tse first. It's 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 a great, great uh, chapter. Uh, such an amazing, amazing civilization and such an incredible teacher. Uh, so I look forward to it. But until then, have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week. 